Athens Citizen of the Year is selected by the people who won the award the previous five years. For 2020, that was Drew Douglas, Willie Robson, Milburn Cheney, Freddie Paul, and Steve Barksdale. With the pandemic in mind, this year the group decided to honor the medical community of Athens. Here's Steve Barksdale. We want to honor, as Citizen of the Year 2020, the team of doctors that we have and then the doctor society we have here, the administrators that we have for each one of these facilities that help generate what we have here, uh, the nursing staff from the nurses at the hospital, they have to endure a different type of thing that nurses at the assisted living have, all the different things that they have to deal with. We're looking at clinical people that are behind the scenes that are in the labs and, and helping serve and then we're looking at non-clinical, which is those people that have to clean up every day and every hour. They're walking down the halls with a mop and with a spray and with a wipe down. And, you know, they're trying to keep the COVID from even coming close to us. And then our first responders, you know, how would it be like if you and I went in to help somebody and they're dying of COVID and we don't have any protection other than we're just going to pick them up and take care of them, put them in the ambulance, you know or air flight them, something like that. You know, it's just, it's it's mind-boggling to me that they have the heart and the passion, which is their, that's what they've chose to do. But think about, put yourself in their shoes. What do they feel like when they have to go home and thinking, well, you know, do I have COVID? Am I taking it home with me, you know? And um, it, I, I, the fear factor is there. And, and only by the grace of God that we've been blessed that, we have this group of people that we can at least highlight and we just didn't want to leave anybody out and so we want to make sure that anybody that's healthcare provider of Athens, Texas deserves to be our citizen of the year for 2020. Today we interview Blake Daniels of Daniels Partners. His experience with assisted living facilities provides a vantage point to discuss the non-clinical workers behind the scenes in the assisted living and nursing home industries. Give us a quick background of who you are and and what you do. Wow. Um, it's been 15, let's see, what are we, 2021? Um, it's been about uh, 15 to 16 years that I've been, I came back to Athens, um, born, born and raised, actually raised here, born in Fort Worth, but raised here, um, and helped take over in the family business. Um which includes assisted living, um, independent living, um, working on expansion right now to include a memory care. But, you know, 15 to 16 years of trying to better our businesses, uh, give more opportunities to more people to work in the assisted living type industry um, here in Athens, get a little taste of the healthcare. Um, for me, it's been, um, it's been great. Um, I, who else better for me to learn the business aspect of running multiple businesses than from my dad? Um, you know, my brother spoke about how much he learned from our father about business, not just making money, but ethics, how to run the business the right way, ethically and professionally. Um, and that meant a lot because, you know, just like my brother, we both graduated with bachelor degrees and he actually went on to law school, but he learned more. He said 
from my from our dad than he did in six years of college. So I've I've figured that out now. <laughs> um, his his knowledge and understanding from him being a per, uh, owning his own pharmacy, uh, going through the four years of getting his degree and then the extra two years, and it, it's just amazing the amount of knowledge he has, but also the amount of connections he has here in Athens. Um, you know, he's been, he and my mom have been here for over 40 years. He's been in business for over 45. Um, so the last 15 years have been learning, growing, um, and now building upon that. Um, that's pretty much about me for, for the last, you know, 15 years. And so the last year mm-hmm. has, I'm, I'm guessing has been different than any other year. By far, yeah. Um, could we project something like this? No. In, in the assisted living industry, we're built to have an emergency preparedness plan. Every year we update it. Why? Because there's a different emergency that may pop up from the four years ago having multiple hurricanes that hit not only South Texas, the Houston, Baytown area, but also Louisiana. Did it hit us? No. But it affected us because we had to take in any of those facilities down south or in Louisiana, take in their residents that were displaced, take in some of their employees that were displaced. So it affected us. Other natural disasters, we were prepared for as much as we possibly could be. Um, but this wasn't something that obviously we <laughs> we looked at and said, oh, we can project out in five years, three years that this – no. This was something that just like I believe the rest of uh, of Henderson County and – spread it out to the state of Texas and to the U.S. and the world. Um, it wasn't something that we expected or predicted. Um, we were looking forward to um, to planning for it. With that being said, the last year, um, March, February, March of, of, of 2020 was just a complete eye-opening. Um, major, massive changes on the fly, not just for my business, but for the regulating body, Health and Human Services Commission in the state of Texas, on the fly, learning from us, which we call us on the front lines for our industry, what we're doing in-house to combat it, to fix it, to try to make it where it's comfortable for our residents, comfortable for our employees. So yes, uh, the last the last 15 months have been just um, a very wide eye-opening experience. And so that's one of the things we really want to talk to you about because um, in this series, we're speaking to doctors and nurses and and different um, segments of the healthcare industry. Um, And you have a unique position with your um, clients um, and your residents living there. And so what I really want to look at is the people who you don't really think of as healthcare, the people who are cleaning house, dietary, the people who are doing those kinds of things, how has the pandemic affected what they do? I mean, across the board, it's affected every aspect. Um, there are there are two reasons why people choose a specific assisted living or why they don't choose it. Number one is the food. And the food it branches out to multiple aspects, the variety, the taste, the portion size, and then you go into the health aspect. Do they offer healthy food? Do they offer vegan options? Do they offer steamed vegetables rather than everything grilled? And the other thing is activities, social interaction with whether it's employees and residents or residents with residents. 
those are two of the major ish, major thing items that people choose to move in their mom or dad or mom and dad choose to move in or a grandparent or not. Um, so those two got impacted really big activities. We were shut down. We could not have group outings outside of our facility. We could not have group outings inside that were larger than nine people, including residents and employees. So it made it hard for my activity director to be able to come up with creative ideas and ways to keep those residents still engaged, not only mentally and physically, but socially. Dietary, we had to pretty much spend more money than I've ever spent on food ever. In 20, we built the first building in 2001 in 21 years. We spent more money in one calendar year than we ever have. That was due to we had to serve a lot on plastic and paper because the sanitized aspect of it. My employees having to pass, we could no longer allow them to eat in the dining room because we couldn't social distance 150 people in two different dining rooms. We still couldn't social distance. So they had to eat three meals a day in the room, our residents. Well, that means my employees in the kitchen have to package everything up and cover it for healthy human services, regulations, and sanitizing. And then we had to put it on carts, and it still has to stay the same temperature or at least warm enough by the time it leaves the kitchen to get to the rooms because that's a rule and regulation. We can't serve cold food unless it's made cold. So that's been – that was a struggle, getting my employees to take it up and down the halls and pass it, drinks, regular food, salads, main dinner, and then your uh, desserts. So it required more employees. Um, with that being said, there was also – a dummy down aspect of the menu. Um, we offered an any we offer an anytime menu, which means if you want shredded wheats three times a ba- a bowl of shredded wheats three times a day, you're getting it. You want a hot dog three times a day, you're getting it. That goes along with their doctor and nutritious guidelines. Sure, but for the most part, these residents they don't choose to come to us. They they have no choice. They have a choice of which business to go to, which is just living. But they would rather be at home. They would rather be with their free agency to choose to do what. So we make sure, and and my number one rule is, is all of my employees get to go home. They clock in and clock out. Then they get to go do whatever they want. These residents don't. So the, the Oakwood Place Senior Living is my residence home, not my employees. We come and go, they don't. So we want to make it where they feel like it is their home. And food and activities are two of the biggest aspects that helps them to feel like, okay, we still have a little bit of free agency during a pandemic, even though we're restricted on certain things. Inside this building, we can still get up, walk around, move around, social interact, and still get some quality meals as well as we can prepare it. Food costs went up across the board. We go get some food. We go pick up from from different places, but Sam's, but Benny, Keith, and all them deliver, and their costs went up. It had to. It went up on them. So it's been a real struggle. Um, food's, food is 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 a big deal, a big deal. Well, and then your employees, I, uh, what kind of PPE are they in when they're doing this stuff now instead of where they were? Exactly. Uh, you know, PPE was another thing. We, at the very beginning of all this pandemic, March, April, the U.S. was just like us as far as our industry. We didn't have an abundance of PPE stuff. There wasn't a warehouse is full of it. Um, so we had to pick and choose and beg and borrow. 
um, we made it where we spent um, 20000 plus on PPE stuff before we got the opportunity for the U.S. to get starting to get those factories working and reserves in so that we could um, get free, free meaning the National Guard, Health and Human Services, Region 4, which operates, um, regulates us out of HHS, to give us the opportunity to get PPE gear for free for facilities like us. So my employees, um, it's mass mandate, 100% mask. If we have a COVID-positive resident or employee in our building, employee, obviously, tested positive, they'll go home. Resident, test positive, we'll send them out to get a little bit of medicine, then they come back. We house them in our facility as a COVID-positive, social distance, quarantine, isolated. <clears throat> that requires all of my employees from management all the way down to wear an N95 mask. Um, not KN95, but N95. On top of that, there is specific employees that are designated, limiting the amount of employees that are designated to only work with that person. We had, we went from March when it was first originally uh, mentioned that COVID-19 was, you know, hitting different areas um, until September. We were one of the, I'd say probably out of 15 facilities in the state of Texas that are registered that didn't have COVID the first eight months. And lucky. Once we did, we had three residents all right next door to each other in private rooms. And we sent them to Park Island. Have a great, great rep, um, uh, business relationship with Park Island, Bo Humble, and Chris Baker. They kept them. We didn't, we, we weren't sure exactly how we were going to handle it. So they kept our COVID patients, which meant none of my residents or employees were going to be in danger at the time. We practiced how we were going to handle it if we had them there. Went two months, the same building, which is, uh, had these three uh, COVID residents had three more. How it happened, we don't know. We have an idea. But we kept those then. These we kept because we had a mock version of what it would have looked like. So not only do my, I have two employees that were designated for these three residents. We made sure that those three residents were in rooms right beside each other. So if we had to move them, we moved them. You have to wear a PPE gown. You have to wear gloves. You have to, and the gloves have to go over the gown so there's no openness. You have to wear the N95 mask. Plus you're wearing also a regular surgical mask over that. Then you're wearing a face shield. Then you're wearing a kind of a, it's not a hairnet, but it's, it's like a wash, a cap uh, to go swimming in. Then you have to wear booties on your feet. Um, on top of that, you, they literally, and, and we have a, um, a red box. The box is where you put all that stuff in. Um, and when you go in that room, you're wearing everything. You do as, as much as you possibly can without actually uh, making yourself accessible. I mean, you're, you're full on, you're protected. So you're helping that resident. Once you finish helping that resident, whatever it is that you're doing, then you disrobe everything except for your mask right there inside the room, drop it all in. Then there's another box right outside the room. You're going to wash your hands. Then you're going to sanitize and then you're going to come out and you're going to, we've got a, a fogger that will spray you. I had a empty room across the hall. So that they could go in there, they could go in and take a shower, my employees, they could go in and sanitize head to toe. Then they go and they sit in the chair and they wait and they watch to make sure the resident don't come out of the room or they go back in to feed them or they go back in to dual assist as far as helping them go transfer from the bed to the bathroom. 
Um, and every time they go in, they have to go every through time this they have process. To guard back up through the whole process. Yes, sir. And it's a 12 hour shift. So we had two girls working 12 hour shifts for two weeks straight. So what's the impact on your employees as far as their mental health and, yeah. and them trying to just deal with these kind of issues? We have, they're scared. Um, it's unfortunate that, um, they get most of their information from social media, um, from news. And I say unfortunate because the, not all of my employees can disseminate from what's, what's truthful and what's not. And I explained to them, we have meetings every single day at two o'clock shift changes, our massive shift change. We were using that and we we're using pre COVID. We were using that as training, how to dual assist without hurting yourself, how to do this, this. Well, since then it's been a mixture of COVID training. And how to deal with situations that could arise. So they would come in with questions about, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And um, look, we follow what? Healthy Human Services, the CDC, and the WHO. I'm not worried about all the other mass media. We will follow what they tell us because they're the ones that decide whether we stay open or closed. As far as I was concerned, I was, if I panic, then they need to panic. If I don't panic, then we're okay. I'm going to set the the rule as a leader, and then they're going to in, put that into charge, which would be my managers. I wear my mask 24-7 when I'm in the facility. I make sure that my managers do, and then they trickle down to make sure. But my employees, uh, you know, I mean, we're looking at 15 months. I mean, they're amazing, amazing from top to bottom, from housekeeping to kitchen to uh, caregivers to med aides, um, all the way up to management. They um, – they didn't, they did not get scared from working during it. They were just scared that they were going to accidentally get infected somewhere else in the community and bring it into the facility, not knowing that they were infected because it could be asymptomatic. That's the nervousness and scaredness they were. They were happy to be there. They understand the difference between what they live and what the residents live with. So that is what I praise them for. There's no way in the world we could be where we were for eight months. COVID negative without the way my employees took care of not only themselves in the facility, but outside. They could go wherever they want, any restaurant, any place. Even I think bars were open, clubs were open. I'm not saying they didn't go. I don't know, but they did not go and get themselves and put themselves in positions that would cause them to bring something to the facility. One of the things you mentioned was housekeeping, and mm -hmm. I've been really interested in that because I think about the hospital, I think about local clinics, and I think yeah. about facilities like yours. Um, and, you know, those are places that we would always think of as being very clean mm -hmm. anyway. Right. Um, but it, to me, I think that the sanitation has to have taken a, a leap up over the last, um, over the last year. It has. That's another area where we expensed more than we ever have. Um, cleanliness is a huge deal. I'm OCD about it myself. Um, and so it trickles down to my housekeeper. She, my housekeeping manager is, I mean, she works enough for three people. Um, amazing lady. Um, and her employees she has follow her suit. We not only were worried pre-COVID, we were worried about dust. We were worried about different uh, germs. We weren't worried about major issues like this. So with that being said, um, it's, it's taken on a whole new form of dusting with the intention to kill any bacteria, any virus, 
it's not just using lemon pledge. It's using specific chemicals that have been authorized by HHS that it's not too powerful for the residents or their animals, but powerful enough to kill germs. With that being said, um, we hired a company, uh, to come in, um, it's probably about November, uh, to come in and just completely fog our, our whole building. I mean, we got 20,000 square feet in one building. Then I've got the two story. Every nook and cranny. I'm talking about common areas, kitchen, dining rooms, and every single resident room. So we had to actually move all of our residents out of their rooms into other areas because it would be an hour before they could go back in the room due to the chemical they're using, which was hydrogen peroxide mixed with something else in water. But it was just, it's so strong. It would make you feel like you had a little tickle in your throat. And some of these residents have COPD or different aspects. So you want to make sure you take care. So, but they got, I mean, everything, any place you can imagine that there would be a dust mite or something. No, it's gone. So we sanitized that completely. It took them almost 12 hours to do that. Um, and we're doing it. I mean, you can imagine all the items that we touch daily from remote controls to doorknobs, to light switches, to a, a toilet, um, refrigerator, every single one of those items since day one has been sanitized three times a day. First thing when we get there, last thing we do when we leave. Um, and you can imagine 20,000 square feet in just one building, but then you got to add on another, you know, 15,000 square feet for an upstairs downstairs. Um, and on top of that, you're doing outside doors, you're doing inside doors, um, and then kitchen. Um, all of my employees continually wear gloves when they serve food, which they do anyways. But in this case, they're still wearing a mask and they're wearing gloves. So Lysol, um, there's multiple breakoffs of Lysol, but microband, that's still just as good. Again, these are things that we've just had to buy and buy and buy. So when we think about the pandemic and we think about the medical community and we think about doctors, we think about nurses, we think about, you know, the people who are running things and all, but very rarely do we think about the people who are making meals. Mm -hmm. You know, the hospital's got a, got a kitchen. We don't think Mm -hmm. about housekeeping very much. Um, Talk about how important, just how important in the idea of healthcare those those people are you know you think about the engine in your car and you you know exactly what certain atoms are whether it's um, the spark plug or whether it's a belt you see the bigger items but you don't see the smaller inner working items that are inside the engine how many people really know exactly how gas and, and oil why you need that and how much of the mixture does it go into each other to make your car run that's pretty much what i look at it as my housekeeper's my dietary staff, even go a little extra, my caregivers, um, they all work 40 plus hours a week. And for them to be able to do what they do gives the managers that are over them a peace of mind to know that they can go and help when they need it, but they can go and take care of other bigger items. I need my managers to handle and focus on my residents, resident family, and my employees. That way my employees can do what they do without you know, my dietary staff without, uh, uh, housekeeping staff. Uh, I mean, there's no way we would be, um, we'd be up the Creek without a paddle. It, it's, it's, it's just people look at them as, Oh, those are the bottom. No, they're not. Those are the ones that make us go. They're the ones that keep us going and keep us, uh, keep my residents happy because they're the ones that see my residents more than anybody. They're in the rooms the most. They see other stuff that doesn't even pertain to their department, but report it burned out light bulb remote, not working. AC filter, AC needs to be cleaned. 
drain clogged. They see all that. They don't specifically handle those duties, but they report it and get it to the right person. Without it, I'm not going in the rooms every day. It's those people. So what do you think when you hear that um, you're part of that group that's been named the Citizen of the Year for 2020 because of the pandemic and everything that that your industry has done to protect people? The assisted living industry, even the nursing homes, um, we have a handful of five, six nursing homes in Athens, and we all work well together. We're not all working against each other. We have different needs, and our residents and their residents have different needs, and we have that separation. But um, I think this is about the whole industry. It's about all of those employees that um, have family members that they leave and go to work every day to work an eight, 12, um, sometimes 15 hour shift, um, and put themselves in harm's way to possibly have, you know, get COVID, but they're doing it because they're selfless and they're thinking about those residents that cannot and are not supposed to leave the facility. Then they're thinking about the fact that they have to garb up every day and do so many things that they're not specifically used to doing. And it changes their behavior. It changes their personality, but so does it for the residents. So to me, after speaking with uh, multiple administrators with nursing homes, we all feel the same way. It's not about us. It's about our residents. It's about our employees. It's about their families. Um, it's about their children. They are doing this because they love their job. They love the residents and the residents look at those of my employees as being their grandchildren, their children. And they appreciate it, even though it's been a complete 180 from what we've been doing. So, um, you know, to me, citizen of the year, um, you know, I think it's unique this year. I think it's great idea, unbelievable idea. Um, but I think it's all about the employees and it's all about the residents. So what question do you wish I asked? that I haven't asked. How are our residents mentally, physically, and emotionally handling all the changes? Go ahead. Um, I'll preface it with this. I'm the, I'm the president of a nonprofit assisted living organization um, here in Texas. And um, this organization has been going, uh, we started back in uh, the early 70s. So we've been this this organization, which is called Torch. We've been um, in the state of Texas for over forty years. This organization for the assisted living industry represents all the small ones. It could be uh, from a four bed all the way up to a sixteen bed, all the way up to one hundred fifty bed like me. It's it's ninety percent private. It's not corporate, not the big ones. We have not only gone out and got contracts to service our members with PPEs, the cheapest we can get, meaning we got them the best quality stuff, but tried to get them the smallest price, if not free, then it's close to free, that we could do from PPEs to test kits um, to setting up a contract now. We're trying to get a contract to be able to give uh, the vaccine locally um, to anybody and everybody people that didn't get an opportunity to get it. So with that being said, we've been, I've been able to 
go to Austin year after year after year, every two years for, as you know, even though legislature is every two years, you go every year because they're working for the next year to be able to try to get more. For me, it's, it's get more and better services for the seniors. I've talked to multiple facility owners across the state of Texas, Houston, McAllen, um, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso, and they feel the same way. We all agree. Keeping our residents mentally, physically, and emotionally healthy has been the hardest struggle. They don't understand what's going on in the community because they're not out there. They hear and read. Keeping them socially active, keeping them physically active so that they don't just sit in their rooms and, and I know it's fun sometimes to sit in your barking lounger and they've enjoyed being able, we've been basically, we've been serving them hand to foot, but they are getting frustrated. They have gotten frustrated. They have gotten tired and they don't see their families. The visits that we have are sectioned off, regulated by HHSC. So not only are we having activities where we'll have them sit at their doors, open up their, their doors in, their, in the hall, 10 rooms in a hall, they're socially distanced. They'll sit there with a chair and a table, and I'll have an activity director at one end or an activity assistant at the other with a microphone yelling out bingo numbers. We have got the, we've gotten creative. We've, but the mental, the physical, and the emotional aspect, food, cleanliness, communication, I've, ever since this started, we've sent out about seven to eight letters that go email. Gives an introduction to all the family members, and we give it to employees and residents to let them know where we're at, what we're doing, how we're trying to, to, to handle this. And every time I mention, we are doing what we can to help the mental, physical, and emotional of your family member. But we beg you, come visit. Come to, we have, we have a specific room that is sanitized all day long for family members to come in and visit. Through a plexiglass, they can come up to the resident room outside the window and visit. There's another booth that's set outside for them to visit when it's good weather. But with that being said, we have residents that are on hospice. The family members are allowed to come in. We put PPE full gear on them and take them into the room and we close the door and let them and they can touch. There's nothing I can do about that. That's the end of life so that they know that they can still have that relationship. On top of that, we ask them to call. We ask them to Skype. We ask them to FaceTime. It is amazing how many residents, family members have taken on other residents as a family member, but they don't have any relation whatsoever, no connection. Dining in the dining room as a group has been hard for them to not handle. Socially, playing dominoes or horse racing or anything has been hard for them. So for me, I mean, it's a struggle to, to see that. Um, every day we go home and we just, you know, I, I, that's what I think about 24 seven. How can my residents be happy today, happier today than they were yesterday? What can we do? What can my employees do? What can my food do? What can my activities do? What creative stuff can we do that doesn't create a negative? You gotta be six feet apart. Gotta be so they start wearing masks. I got girl, ladies that sit down at a, at, and want to play dominoes. They're not six feet apart, but they're wearing masks. Just the little things make a huge difference in that physical, emotional, and um, and, and and mental aspect of of the acuity of their health. 
it's huge. Um, I, I could go on for hours. It, 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 there's so many things um, that all of our facilities, whether it's an assisted living or nursing home, uh, we've done creative things that we've bounced off of each other. Um, but I'll tell you this much. It, it It's – my employees are awesome. <laughs> my employees are awesome. I mean they take it in stride, and I've had seven employees that have come down with COVID. Um, only one we can trace back to our facility, but the rest of them – and um, I, I, I pay my employees while they're off for COVID. Um, they deserve it. Even though the the FMLA Act is no longer forcing us to, I still do it. Because why would they be honest with me if they were sick or if their kid was sick or their husband was, or spouse was sick? If I mean, I, I need them. I need them at work. And I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they are there at work because these residents miss them. They love seeing the same faces. When I have to change a whole new staff, it changes everything. So, um, I didn't mean to go on a rant, but it, it, it's been, it's been, it's been an amazing, amazing 15 months to see all of my employees step up. And then the last thing is the vaccines, you know, to get the opportunity to, to, to get the vaccine was, I mean, just, it, it's almost like most of my residents say it was a blessing. It was a, a, a miracle from God, as they would say, um, we know it's not a cure. It's just like getting a flu shot. You get it every year. But for these seniors, it means one step closer to normalcy, one step closer to maybe getting back to the way it was pre-COVID with a few hiccups, masks, social distancing, more washing hands, sanitizing. But they get to see their family. They get to see their grandkids. They get to see the great-grandkids. They get the hug. Um, and, and, you know, going into an, a hospital, I get it. There's always sick people at the hospital, but there's not always sick people at assisted livings. Um, it's where you're most ambulatory, cognitive. Well, you, you come into the assisted living or ask any of our community that has their family members there and it'll break your heart because you can see certain residents that have just taken a different turn due to the lack of social opportunities so the isolation very much yeah Blake Daniels thank you very much for spending some time with us and telling us what's been going on in your industry during the pandemic appreciate it